0: Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk
1: Flicks. All right, probably our final episode before we take a break for the holidays. Welcome to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks with a special guest, apparently, in the background as
0: well. Did you hear that, Dave? It was just a flyby. I told him the pattern was full. Ghost Rider.
1: Okay. Well, on that note, we welcome you to today's episode. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater on Highway 2, just down from the airport. Come on out to the Bemidji Theater to catch what's new on the big screen. And if you are still kind of working your way back into... Returning to theaters, you could still be supportive of your local theater by purchasing concessions. Including at the Bemidji Theater, you could come on in, get concessions, take them with you if you're not really feeling being at a movie yet. Those concessions will still support the theater in a big, big way. So come on out to the Bemidji Theater located on Highway Two, just down from the Bemidji Airport.
0: You know, quick economics lesson on how that works. When you buy a ticket to go see a show at a theater, they might keep maybe a dollar per ticket. The rest of that stuff goes back to Hollywood. But concessions... That's why you know they're kind of on the pricey side because that's what supports your theater. So if you're going to have movie night at home because you don't want to go into the theater for Omicron reasons or anything else, stop in, get a popcorn and an icy and candy and then go back home and you've supported your theater and stayed safe at the same time. That's right.
1: All right. This was an episode that was supposed to be recorded last week. So we've had an extra week to get ready for it. We've had an extra week to take in what's going on around us as well. And one of the biggest stories that at least has come about recently is we're coming off a very tepid weekend at the box office. Now, you might say, well, that's just in a vacuum. Well, it's not because this past weekend was the release of a movie that you and I have actually talked a little bit about for a few months now, back when we did our Steven Spielberg episode.
0: Yeah, about a year ago actually, because it was actually supposed, yes, yeah, it was. It was one of those movies was supposed to come out around Christmas of twenty twenty last year, and it got pushed like so many others this year, and it finally came out. West Side Story, it's a remake of the Robert Wise, Natalie Wood classic, nineteen uh, sixty. What what year did that come out? Well, now we got the redo, and it's Spielberg, and it's got great reviews, but people evidently just aren't going to see it. Yeah, it only pulled in ten and a half million dollars domestically
1: at the box office in its opening weekend did way worse overseas. 4.4 million was all it took in overseas during its opening weekend. So apparently it hits all the right notes as far as as doing a really good remake, but I don't know if it, it for reasons related to that that it's a remake of of such a popular movie that's come previously and people are iffy about going to check that out. Or if it's related to an, another spike in coronavirus cases, but for whatever reason, people just did not come on out to see it.
0: My gut feeling without really reading any research, because there's really nothing conclusive about it, I don't know why, it just it happened. So nobody really seems to know. But if I had to guess, you got this new Omicron variant, which is really running refshod, depending on where you are, London right now, it might become the dominant strain. And it's extremely much more contagious, apparently, than anything else, but it seems to be less severe if you get it. That's not to say that there aren't fatalities from it, but, um, you know, and that seems to be having people taking a back step. Masks are coming out more than they were. Lines are getting a little longer to get your third shot booster. Um, This thing and that thing. Um, So that's my gut feeling, you know, and I still haven't seen the new Ghostbusters movie, but I'm generally, as I'm slowly working my way back into the theaters, I'm not going to see movies on opening weekend when there's everybody and their mother there. I might go see the Ghostbusters maybe this week, maybe next because now it's still playing, but the crowds are way less. It's pretty good chance you can go in there. There might be just a handful of seats open. So that's not to say I don't want to support that movie or the theater, but I just don't want to go dive into a big pile of potential bad. So and maybe and that's my gut, but I could be totally wrong. It's very possible. I mean, given the
1: the timing and how it all looks, but we've seen some some recent movies that have come out do pretty solid at the box office as far as when they've they've hit the screen for the first time and it's not like the marketing has been lacking on this i mean i i kind of was thinking hey i haven't really seen any promotion for it lately although i haven't been watching a whole lot of tv lately since i've been busy with with travel for sporting events so you however have said you've you've seen quite a bit of marketing leading up to it and i i mean i can even recall there they had been pushing the movie through media for several months now
0: yeah you know the only other thing i can think about is we've touched base on this before too when should you not touch sacred and west side story i don't mean the story because i mean i think every high school drama stage has had it on stage at some point for the fall or spring musical or whatever so that's one thing but they do the same with the sound of music and they do the same with the wizard of oz and all those film adaptions including west side story are generally considered sacred Robert Wise, one of the all-time great directors in Hollywood back from uh, the, the 60s in particular, 60s and 70s, he directed Sound of Music, he directed West Side Story, and plenty others. The first Star Trek movie, we'll give him a shout-out for that, too. Um, so should you redo that, even when it's being redone by classic hands like Spielberg and John Williams and his whole crew, they really can do no wrong. But then again, years back ago, when you're hearing about what Spielberg is gearing up down his pipeline and West Side Story, really, what? He's going to do a musical? Really? Okay. So maybe there's that. Maybe thats it's kind of surprising and it's not one of Spielberg's projects that you're really drawn to. Maybe it's the fact that it's retreading over you know, likely sacred ground. And maybe it's that combined with, well, I don't know if I want to go to the theaters and take a risk right now anyway because of this and this. So I think I'll wait and, you know, let things die down and then see it. Maybe it's a little of all of that. Pinch of this, pinch of that.
1: Yeah, I think that's the the best way to go as far as making an educated guess as to why why we're seeing what we're seeing. But, Anything else going on as of late, Dave, that's uh, of interest or of note, at Spidey. least from what you've seen?
0: Let's. I think we're going to know if it's tepidation about going or if it's being just tepid about going to the theater at all and really reluctant because of this and that when Spidey comes out. I think you're right. Because everybody and their kid wants to see this. And so if those numbers are soft, that I think is going to probably shine a little more of a light as to the why, and it might be along those lines. But if Spidey goes gangbusters and Omicron's only going to go up from here uh, for now, at least for the short term, then we've got something else. So I think Spidey might shed a little light. But then again, yes, this is the 17th Spider-Man movie, or however many it's been, not just factoring in the MCU, but you've got Tobey, you've got Garfield, you've got everybody, you've got Doc Ock back with Alfred Molina. Are we really going to have the other Spider-Men
1: back? Yeah. You think so? You think most definitely. Yeah, because they still they still haven't outright revealed it, and it's still not. I mean, I haven't seen enough in terms of rumblings to say absolutely for certain they're going to be in this movie. But unless they are, unless it's a worst kept secret kind of
0: thing, I think at this point with the groundswell that is out there, if they don't show up. I think Sony would be very wise to say, look, we're going to pay you whatever you need. We're going to just go into this phone booth here and we're going to film a cameo. We'll insert it because if at this point they don't show up, you're going to get riots in the theaters. I paid to see my – and it could be a real problem. So, <laughs> yeah, at this point, yeah, they'll they'll be in there. Even if they have to pay him to run through the theater and to make the movie in 4D. Was that Tobey Maguire? No, that was a stunt double. I don't know. Yes, that,
1: that will be, as far as the reaction, the reaction is going to be something to watch too. And if you have a surprise show up like that, I mean, that's going to be hard to miss and hard to, to stay away from checking out. I mean, I I said this a couple of episodes ago. I was just going back through the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, at least the first two of them, uh, here a few weeks ago, which was a fun revisit to to walk back down that road again after a a while being away from that it was it was fun getting to to be back and watch those movies again
0: just remember we got some big movies coming out we've got another matrix movie spoilers people don't just start throwing everything up on facebook or on wherever because not everybody wants to know what's about to unfold before them before they can watch it unfold you know the sex in the city return and there's a big you know surprise thing at the end be quiet you know, it's all I don't even watch that show and I already know all about it. You know. So how about somebody that T voted and they haven't had a chance to see it yet and they want to see it or download it or stream it or whatever, and they already know the big, you know, thing. So let's have a little mercy now, at least a month. Cause people just don't get around to seeing things on your schedule. They'll see it on theirs. And casting news is harder
1: to keep quiet than ever yeah. these days. That's why several years ago I I appreciated how quiet they were about Matt Damon's surprise appearance in Interstellar, yeah. like for instance, that was that was an extremely well guarded secret in a time where it's hard to keep things like that under wraps these days. I was so appreciative that that was a genuine surprise that they kept that so so quiet.
0: Well, we probably should have mentioned slightly before that comment. There are occasionally spoilers on this show. If we're not going to do, spoil you did something, make we'll a spoilers you know.
1: comment though.
0: Well, there you go. So there there may be spoilers forthcoming. Like I said, I probably should have mentioned it early at the top. Uh, not that our topic today is really going to lend itself to spoiler-heavy stuff, but it could come up. So be right. aware, if we start talking about a movie and you haven't seen it and it's on your Netflix queue list, just be aware. We, we, we might spoil something. Today is most definitely an
1: episode of what-ifs. A lot of what-ifs. And what we mean by that is... What if this person had been cast in this role? I think an exercise like this, Dave, and anytime I hear that somebody could have played a role, it elicits two different responses, I think, that come up. Two very different responses. One is fascination. You're fascinated by the idea of, wow, that person could have been that character? There's there's a certain... Boy, that's really interesting to think about that comes with it. The other feeling I think is one where you bristle at the notion that that person could have played that role. Really? That is that person very nearly played that 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 role and all you think of is maybe another role that they played. You and I were joking about one of the examples we're going to get into here during the episode beforehand. And we immediately went to another role that that person had played and all that we took away from how that person played that role. And then we carried it over into how we jokingly thought that they might have played that role in the other movie that they were slated to possibly play in. I think those are the the two natural responses that come
0: with a discussion about, hey, this person could have been cast as insert character here. When they come up with, let's say they're going to come up with a new Superman movie. Well, who can we get to play Superman? They start throwing out names. And some of those names are just literally thrown out and... And then they're tossed out. They just, they're just they not much more than that. Sometimes they get slightly more serious. Sometimes they start talking to management, start closing in on two or three or four choices before they finally narrow down on Christopher Reeve or whether it's Josh Hartnett, for example, was somebody brought up to be a potential Superman at one point, uh, Henry Cavill, who might come after Cavill, so on and so forth. So it's fun to look at the potential alternate choices that were brought up. But the other part is this. What if whether they were ever brought up legitimately or not, what if we just kind of threw up with something kind of interesting? You know what I think would have been an interesting take on is if so-and-so played the role rather than so-and-so, even yeah. if they weren't an anybody at that point, wouldn't have been interesting to see Heath Ledger take over from Cesar Romero as the Joker in the 60s? How bizarre would that have been when you factor in what life was like in the 60s with so on and so forth? So a couple of different ways we're going to look at it, the what could have been, the parallel universes, of the all-important casting decisions.
1: Well, do you want to dive in with one right away? Is there one that comes to mind?
0: There was one that, you know, when I started thinking off the top of my head, and I'll also look around online and just kind of remind myself of who was potentially an up-for-a-role. There's a new Matrix movie coming out. Keanu Reeves, of course, Neo, or whatever version of Neo he's playing in this new one because, you know, spoiler alert, Neo didn't make it out. Most of them didn't make it out of the last one, but this seems to be like a reboot of The Matrix in and of itself. So, originally, when they started looking at ideas for who might play Neo, you know, Keanu Reeves, at the point that The Matrix came out, almost was fading into obscurity. The best roles of his career was Bill and Ted, and one of the many cast members of Parenthood. Oh, yes. But by the time they get to the late 90s, Johnny Mnemonic and so forth, I mean, he was working, but they weren't like they were barn burners. And then out comes this Matrix, what's it, what, who? And it was a huge hit, and all of a sudden, Keanu Reeves is back on top. But he wasn't the only one they were looking at, and they took a really good hard look at Will Smith. And he came close to being Neo, and I think he ultimately backed out to do, maybe it was Wild Wild West. (laughs) It was. It was Wild Wild West. Bad decision, because that was a horrible movie. But anyway, so think about, you know, we've got... Will Smith as Neo. How would that have worked? And when you think about the way that Keanu Reeves played it where he's absolutely bewildered but he's playing the straight man role, so to speak, and it's not a comedy, not that Will Smith can't do drama, of course he can, but could you imagine the way that Will Smith would do it, especially when you take into account how he's fish out of water with Men in Black, and of course he's playing it up for comedy, could you imagine trying to do something very similar, trying to figure out what is with this world that he finds himself in that is the Matrix? While not trying to play Agent J, exactly.
1: Yeah all you, all you could probably think of was the Men in Black comparison there, and and I think that would have very easily crossed over in people's minds when when you see the way that they are dressed in the Matrix and how all of that played out. Plus, with Will Smith, there there's a certain persona that he carries with him, and especially with the stuff he did in the '90s, there was a certain. Confident confidence slash arrogance that would sometimes come with his roles. Whether you think of Independence Day or yeah, Agent J in in Men in Black, the Matrix. The thing about Neo is Neo is is a very reluctant hero in that movie, and that's that's a little bit less of what you equate with Will Smith's roles that he played during the course of the '90s. I mean. His his development as an actor was really just underway in terms of some of the roles that he would play coming up in in the future, as far as some really in depth roles, deeper roles. But yeah, you just it's hard to wrap your mind around him being Neo in The Matrix. I, oh. I think the way that the character was who they had for it turned out pretty well.
0: You know, I think hero's journey is a good way that basic storyline f- template explains the journey of Neo and. If you have Will Smith, who is already exuding confidence, even the movie where he played the homeless man in uh, the Pursuit of Happiness, he's got it inside of him. He just needs to find a way to burst it through for somebody to believe him and grab on. That's not Neo, you know. So I don't know. Maybe it'd be a really hard acting job for Will Smith to play humble, maybe or not not so confident. You know, arrogance is not the right word, but definitely exuding confidence where you needed that for the beginnings of Neo, who begins to discover all this stuff and finally starts to rise up. It is the hero's journey. Keanu Reeves plays it well. Uh, Not that Will Smith couldn't, but it would have been a vastly different take, and I'm not sure, just because of confidence reasons, if it would have served the story as well as Keanu Reeves did. So both interesting choices, but Reeves nailed it, and of course now it's hard to imagine anybody else in that role. How about a
1: guy who... We've seen Wield a Sword on the big screen before, and had an opportunity to do so as well in a huge trilogy that came out about two decades ago. Have you heard that Russell Crowe was in the running to play Aragorn in The Lord of the Rings? i would heard that. You have? Okay. That was fascinating to me, because it was around the time of Gladiator when... When those movies were were coming out, they were of course released one at a time in ninety nine, oh one, oh three. That those that those movies hit the screen. Gladiator was wedged in there in two thousand, so probably wouldn't have worked. If it, that's the other part of this Im, imagine if kind of scenario is that you may be taking them away from a role that they also played
0: elsewhere. We're because, talking fantasy now. Because of filming. Yes, we they are. They were able to do it both consecutively, no problems. Yeah.
1: Um <laughs> he let's see, I think they offered I believe they offered a pretty good chunk of money to to Russell Crowe as well.
0: At least that's how that's how the story goes. Um The timing and, would have to be weird because you know, Lord of the Rings came out in two thousand one and they filmed it for better over a year, because they filmed all three movies simultaneously. And Gladiator is kind of what put Russell Crowe on the map. It's not like he hadn't done anything. He was an L.A. Confidential, but he wasn't Russell Crowe yet. Gladiator is what made him Russell Crowe. Why would they, you know, I don't think the timing would work out for a lot of reasons. But but uh, he did an interview with Howard
1: Stern, Russell Crowe did, and and apparently Stern brought up to him that he had been offered 10% of the gross of the movie. That's a huge chunk of money. Given what the Lord of the Rings ended up becoming. And and he asked him, Hey, does does that eat at you? Does that eat at you that that you had a chance to be able to make all of that? And Russell Crowe said something along the lines of, never really thought about it. You know, didn't really think too much about it. That he felt that Peter Jackson had someone else in mind for the role, but but had him come in anyway. And there and, were so many and,
0: doubts around that trilogy at that point anyway. It was untested. Fantasy movies generally weren't all that great. And the last time Hollywood really got hardcore about fantasy movies was in the 80s. And like two or three of them were really good, and the rest of them were, eh, you know, Beastmaster. For every great, you know, Conan the Barbarian, there was the Beastmaster. It didn't go so well. Lord of the Rings, I don't know, eh, and it nailed it. So I don't think anybody expected it to be what it was. So giving him ten percent of you know fourteen million, like West Side Story is making right now, that's not that much. Well, with
1: the the budget that went into all of that and all the work that went into to making it get to the big
0: screen, you the had to whole, think it was it was go big or go home. and, well, and they're, they're doing it again because they're doing it again for what Netflix or whatever Amazon Amazon. So they're, they're making this big reinvestment in the Lord of the Rings. How many times can you go to the well before you realize the well is run dry? And now that's the question right now in 2021 when this Lord of the Rings series comes out to Amazon. Will that hunger be there? Will it be treated correctly? Is this just a money grab? So on and so forth. We're going to find out. And all these guarantees, oh, it'll be fine because that's what the movies did. And what if it doesn't live up to it? Exactly. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. There was one that I thought was, I can't get it out of my head. This is a fantasy, obviously. This would never work in real life, but wouldn't it be kind of interesting if you took the cast of, let's just say, the original series, Star Trek, and you replaced them with the cast of The Sopranos? What? All of them. What? All of them. Where did that come from? Wouldn't that be an interesting, whoa. Was this
1: your own idea?
0: Yes. Wow. Who... I mean, I think James Gandolfini would have to play Shatner's role of Captain Kirk, but who would be the perfect choice for Spock? I mean, would you have to do cold and logical, or would you be, and I can't even attempt the accent, so I'm not even going to try to do the Jersey accent, but which one of those wise guys would be the best version of a wise guy, Mr. Spock? Oh, man. And it's not just the actors and actresses, it's, its a call it a, a dash of flavor of the Sopranos worked into the performance. So you get Captain Cack, you know. I can't do the voices justice. Forgive me. <laughs> forgive me. But which of them would be that, you know. It would be fun. Would the psychiatrist, Lorraine Bracco, would she maybe be a good Spock perhaps? You know
1: how ridiculous this sounds? Yes. But ridiculously funny, yeah. too. See, I that would, that would take away from so much of what you're trying to accomplish with Star Trek 2. But it'd be a great spoof. <laughs> like, it'd be an outstanding spoof.
0: It would be interesting. That that's just like I said, it's a total fantasy. Yeah, no,
1: when you throw in the Jersey accents as well and the the attitudes, oh man.
0: Just a little bit. I mean, you can't do Sopranos doing Star Trek, but even if you just took James Gandolfini, all right, here's the role of an Interspace Captain. There is no such thing as Sopranos. I've seen Gandolfini do other roles. And there's a lot of Tony Soprano in them. So it kind of makes you wonder how much of Tony Soprano really is just James Gandolfini. You know, he's a very interesting, you know, enigmatic kind of a guy that isn't so much on the page, but is really just the guy. You know, just kind of the way he does it. Mel Gibson does Mel Gibson parts. He's just kind of quirky. Yeah. But it's a great, interesting, grabs your attention, grabs your eye, quirky. But that's actually just Mel Gibson, just remembering the lines, playing Mel Gibson. It may be a slight tweak. But, you know, it's pretty much him. So maybe Tony Soprano is very much like James Gandolfini, which would be very much like his version of Captain James Tiberius Kirk. Just an interesting hypothesis.
1: Here's one that, that was a a hypothesis in terms of what could have been for some actual people who were up for casting. For the movie Titanic... There were, there were quite a few possibilities for who could play Jack and Rose. Have you heard about some of them? I've heard of some.
0: Who have you heard of for it? Oh, I, I think I've read about it in the past. I have to remember. I'm trying to remember and I can't remember. But a lot of them were people that were He was kind of trying to go for general nobodies, really. I mean, they'd had some experience, but... Kate Winslet had done a few roles, but they were all British roles. She wasn't really known to American audiences. And short of saving Gilbert Grape and A Boy's Life with De Niro, what else? And Growing Pains, what else had Leonardo DiCaprio really been in? Romeo and Juliet. Romeo plus Juliet. Yeah, just done that. And I know that Claire Danes was up for the role of Rose, but they didn't get along on Romeo and Juliet. And I think they didn't. No, hanging out on a water tank with someone that you just work with and you learn you don't like, probably had a lot to do with it.
1: Yes, Claire Danes, you are correct, was up for the role of Rose, which is so funny to think that possibly she could have been back with DiCaprio again for another movie. Maybe that would have taken away from it a little bit, although, I mean, back in the day, you would have a leading man and lady together on on a movie and, and perhaps back again together for another movie, and it wouldn't be... That huge of a deal, although... They've
0: it, worked together in how many different projects? They've been together. Revolutionary Road was one. They've been together in something else. Uh, so it's it's like Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. Let's see them together. So they do run away yeah. It's happened, and DiCap- it's happened with those two also. DiCaprio and Kate Winslet.
1: Yeah, I think Revolutionary Road was like there was their something else I say that they had. But, yeah, but it very nearly was DiCaprio and Claire Danes again, although... She apparently didn't want it. That's what she said. She didn't really want the role in the yes, end. So why? Well, she Partially. said she said that it was it was because she didn't feel like she was ready for that kind of role and stepping into that. She said that for DiCaprio, he just took off after after the success they had on Romeo and plus Juliet. She said he just he just launched into a different stratosphere, which I think was was fairly accurate. Now, imagine this though. Imagine Claire Danes playing Rose, and opposite her as Jack, Matthew McConaughey. I've heard of that one. Yes, he was up for that role too, and apparently he was quite disappointed that it didn't work out. That that he didn't end up getting the role. Um, He thought that after his screening and his testing there with the audition he thought that he was pretty that he was in in line for it that he, that he had a good chance at it he said walked away from there pretty confident that i had it i didn't get it never got it offered here's what he said um i've i've said it before not even half jokingly if it's true that if that was an offer and it didn't come to me, I've got to go back and go. I've got to meet in an alley with my agent and go, <laughs> what happened? Like, and and he, he was he was making the joke. Yeah, he was hoping that it was because he was hoping that it wasn't because his agent didn't get back to him that he didn't get that role. But imagine that. Plus another another person whose name I saw got floated out there for Rose, who who could have played her. Gwyneth Paltrow apparently was another person who was. Who was in the running? Sounds like you've heard of that one. She too. was
0: becoming an it girl about that point, but this was just as she was launching off. Uh, she was Brad Pitt's girlfriend at the time, and she got a lot of offers, partially because of that. And they did pretty good together. But yeah, you know, ultimately James Cameron knows what he wants. She was apparently she said she was one of the last two, her and I, I her and Winslet, who were in really really in the running for Rose. I believe it. Yeah, it'd be you know sometimes you can't imagine anybody else playing that role, but it did come close to a whole different thing. Maybe DiCaprio wouldn't have become the thing he became as amazing of an actor as he is, but sometimes you get those um you get those roles because of the timing, because of this, because yes. of that. Maybe it's because you haven't launched into the stratosphere yet. I think they were preparing to start work on that movie before Leonardo DiCaprio would come out in Romeo and Juliet. So he hadn't become almost the next thing yet. You want to hear something
1: really ironic though? Hit me. Kate Winslet was in the running for Gwyneth Paltrow's role in Shakespeare in Love. I believe it.
0: (laughs) You'd be amazed at at a certain particular time when these particular movies are getting ready to go into development, who gets brought in, and it's usually all of the same boat, basically. If you pull up with a car and you get six actors in the car, they all get out, all six of them are going to get a role in one of these productions. They're just going to all go in different directions. Maybe one goes left. Oh, no, they'll go right. Whatever the case, but that generally, when they're all free and available or about to be... Uh, There's a great interest in them because they're real hot at the moment. They all just kind of, you know, like dropping marbles on the floor. (laughs) They all go. Yeah. But they're all going to go to what is available to hold them, so to speak, if that's a metaphor. All right, over to you. I heard a really interesting one that I'd never heard of before that just kind of, what? But apparently, yes. Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I'm not going down the realm of who was gonna play Indiana Jones. We've all heard about Tom Selleck instead and he actually was cast in that oh, role. Yeah. That would have been interesting, but I don't think yeah, I don't think it would have been quite the same thing. So I loved Selleck and Magnum. Nobody could have done it better. Nobody could play Indy better than uh maybe Young River Phoenix yeah, or bringing Arison the stash Ford.
1: to Indy would have been a little strange.
0: But it's not the role of Indiana Jones that it was uh, it's not Marion either. It's not Karen Allen. It's one that you wouldn't think of and when you think about what they were Potentially thinking of doing what? So John Rhys-Davies, well-known to play the role of Salah. You know, Indy's uh, Cairo-digging Egyptian buddy who also shows up in The Last Crusade. He's done the Lord of the Rings movies. He's been all over the place. They actually were considering, when they were coming up with ideas for the role, to play the role of Salah. Could you imagine? Just give me one guess. Who do you think maybe you'll never get it? And it's a guy, not a gal. It's not Julie Andrews who don't say that. No, uh,
1: wow, (laughs) boy, uh, wasn't even going along those lines. I, I couldn't tell you.
0: I, I mm, think short uh, and hairy. What? Short and hairy, kind of hairy. What in the world? Danny DeVito really? was being considered really? for the role of Salah. Now you got this. Now John Rhys Davies in real life is British. He's got that British, you know, theater thespian voice. Danny DeVito is Jersey, you know, and you're going to get him to play an about Egyptian you and Jersey digger this morning. Yeah, I don't. I no. I love Danny DeVito. He's good in about everything I've ever seen him in, even bad shows. He's funny. I in some ways he could pull it off, but how are you going to get to pull in? Ernie, the Bronx digger, all the way over to a Nazi project in Egypt to dig up the Well of Souls, if you're familiar with the movie, how could you make Danny DeVito work in that role? I think you'd have to heavily modify it. If you go where Indiana Jones is trying to dig up Jimmy Hoffa, yes, I think Danny DeVito is your digger. But uh, I couldn't see him in the role of Salah. Not even close. All
1: I'm picturing is him... And it's always sunny in Philadelphia yeah. and his character
0: there. And it's. <laughs> well, be around the that time. That's
1: quite an image that, got, that he, he would be that guy.
0: He's still on Taxi at this point. You know, Taxi went from the wow. mid 70s to the yep. mid 80s. So this is, you know, before Romancing the Stone, where he's really breaking out into theater and mainstream roles. He's, just, he's still doing Taxi at this point, And now he's going to be sidekicking with Indiana Jones. And that's probably why he didn't get the role anyway. Probably, hopefully, for other reasons, too. But he's just not available to fly over to... Uh, I think they filmed it in India, I think, is what I remember. But uh, anyway, uh, that would have been an interesting one, but I think it would have boy. taken away from the role. And if you could imagine Danny DeVito and Tom Selleck talking about the headpiece for the staff, uh no. <laughs> they got it right. They got it right.
1: That's Boy, yeah, that's that's a great little bizarro world moment just to picture the two of them discussing it. I. It feels like... When you take two actors like that who who are in such definable roles as we know them to be in it almost makes it into something that's like B movie schlock yeah. a little bit when when you put them into that rather than what we got in the actual Raiders of the Lost Ark, but maybe that's only because it's so foreign of a concept to us.
0: But that's what Indiana Jones basically was—a take off of where those B movie serials, C movie serials, you know, like the Maltese Falcon, but in a much more Saturday matinee. Come back next week for the exciting next chapter of Indiana Smith, which is what the original title was going to be. Uh, I mean, it started out as a Cheerios box, and it just got built up into something that was mahogany and varnished and so gorgeous, but that's not where it was starting. And I think a lot of it had to do with the casting and getting Spielberg involved and John Williams and his score. And it just everything about that movie, it just works. All right, I am hoping that one of
1: these that I that I bring your way is going to be one that you haven't heard of before. I'll pretend even if I have heard that I have. What? Really? I'm I'm thinking that maybe maybe this one is one you haven't heard of before. Okay. The notebook.
0: Oh, then I'm totally out. You are. I've seen it once, but it's not like it's I've one never that I'm going to. I've never read the all the behind the scenes stuff, so you probably will get me. Imagine instead of Ryan Gosling in the notebook. Tom Hanks, really?
1: No. Danny DeVito. <laughs> you were closer with Tom Hanks. <laughs> a very big name. George Clooney.
0: Well, they're going for a whole different age range now. I know, exactly. Exactly way different isn't the notebook where they find out that you know they've had this love affair but they've got amnesia or memory loss and now they kind of come back together isn't George Clooney like just a couple months away from oh you know the old man at the end well remember this was 2004 so a little bit <laughs> he different he had gray hair
1: even then he did I mean they joked about his age in Ocean's 12 which came out the same year there in 2004 so Clooney Clooney apparently was very nearly in there and by the way the older version of him, it ended up being that that Ryan Gosling and James Garner played Noah in, in the movie, the the younger and older versions. It was very nearly Clooney and Paul Newman who were in those roles. And yeah, when I heard that it was Clooney, I was like, really? It just didn't seem to add up in terms of in terms of the age. Because yeah, here, here's what Clooney said: quote, we were going to do the notebook together. Basically, I was going to play him as a young man and it was funny. We met and said, This is it. This is going it's gonna be great. That he was gonna work with Paul Newman on it. Um, however, Clooney said he got cold feet after he went home and watched a lot of Newman's roles. He he felt he felt a little inadequate. Like he he said in fact when they got back together, he said, I can't play you. I don't look like anything like you. This is insane, is is what Clooney apparently said to Newman. So he said they wanted to do it because they wanted to work together, but it ended up not being the right thing ultimately. Yeah, and I agree. Boy, that wouldn't have been the right thing, I don't think, anyway.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I think they did it right. I think they needed a bigger age gap for one. You needed to go way younger. And at the time, Ryan Gosling is, what, 20 years younger than Clooney? So a huge difference in age gap versus James Garner. Uh, so that would have been, what, almost 50 years in age between Garner and Gosling, just off the top of my head, at least, um, yeah, they yeah, they did the right thing. That wouldn't have been as good. <laughs> it's a great what-if, though. It's an interesting what-if.
1: Very fascinating. I mean, I don't think it would have worked quite the same way, but it would have been fun to see Clooney and Paul Newman working together. i yeah, love they, to see them together. I don't think they've got the look, though. Yeah.
0: No, not to play the same role. I mean, it would look like, I mean, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, but, you know, Clooney is, you know, he's a, he's a guy and he's built like a guy. Paul Newman in his prime certainly was, but not when he was, you know, 85 or whatever he would have been at the time. I mean, it looks like a raisin in the sun kind of thing. It's just, you know, I don't, I'd don't. i love to see him together. You know, I'd love to see like a redo of an old Sean Connery, Matthew Broderick movie called Family Business. You can look it up on Google. Good movie. Dustin Hoffman's in there. Uh, I'd love to see him part of like the same patriarch family where maybe it's kind of like the Sting 3 maybe work Redford in there too. I mean, that would be cool. Some charismatic guys and get a couple gals in there. Not quite Ocean's Eleven, but like a grifter's kind of thing. Yes, that would have been awesome. But not playing the notebook. No, no not, it depends not on what in the you're notebook. Yeah. I got an interesting one that I don't know if he was ever talked about for this role. I got to imagine somebody in a boardroom somewhere said, what about Alan Rickman as Alfred the Butler in a Batman? Now, whether that's Michael Caine, whether that is um, replacing Jeremy Irons and the kind of newer go-around with Batman when it was Ben Affleck and I, I'm, oh, who's the, who's the new Alfred this time? It's um, uh, I can't remember, but it would have been interesting to have Alan Rickman as a, you know and a sometimes dynamic version of Alfred the Butler in any one of those Batman roles. Um, even if you go back to Michael Goh in the Tim Burton versions, any of those versions, I think Alan Rickman would have been. Interesting, but I would, I would, I would, and as a um,
1: dynamic Alfred, it sounds like. Yeah, would, I would, would uh, him
0: nominate him to as much as I love Michael Caine. I would love to see him in the Michael Caine version of Alfred for the Dark Knight trilogy. Could you imagine playing Regal? But you know, he can hit it and he can punch it. And there's a couple of roles where Bruce Wayne and Alfred are kind of going nose to nose a little bit. And I, I would love to see that version. I think would have been an interesting alternative, and I think it would have worked. I think he would i think he would absolutely I, I don't want to take anything away from michael kane he's truly a legend and he rocks in those roles but i think he and christopher nolan working with with uh alan rickman that would be he, they'd flourish together and unfortunately it'll never happen now but um
1: feels like uh maybe taking the jeremy irons version of alfred and and taking it to another uh, another rung or yeah. maybe another two rungs or so like Michael Caine's version of Alfred was very much the sage wise friend playing playing that kind of role. This this sounds like you said this sounds like a lot more of an intense kind of look at the the Alfred character. Like, yeah, you know, but you can also
0: just slide into this kind of thing where he's just almost melancholy in a way. But there's <laughs> it's almost like watching uh, Robin Williams in the movie Insomnia. He's very restrained. And that's almost what makes him more unnerving because you know it's an iceberg and you're only seeing 10% and the rest of it's under the surface. You know, just being a fan of movies and shows and pop culture, that Robin Williams is a volcano ready to explode. But when he's restrained like that, and you know that Rickman can do the exact same thing, but he can go to both ends. He can go over the top manic, not quite Pacino-like, but he can really hit it. And well spoken, sir, you know, you know. Cut your heart out with a spoon because it's dull, you twit. You know that? What? But it was funny to get him to do it. That's a Robin Hood joke. Um, but I think that would be interesting. I think it would be a good one to see him as the butler, but it will never happen.
1: Hey, you want to hear another duo? Yeah. It nearly was? All right. So in La La Land, we had, we had uh, funny enough, we're going another Ryan Gosling role. We had Ryan Gosling and we had Emma Stone who yep. played Sebastian and Mia in that one picture miles teller and emma watson playing those roles that was very nearly the duo instead of what we got in la la land in fact when i when i was reading through the talk about how they were preparing for that movie and everything this was kind of like a back to back like they coupled these together and and they talked about that was very nearly the tandem instead of what we got in the movie like I feel like it would have been maybe a bit of a younger spin on those characters rather than like rather than thinking of them as maybe a little bit more mature with with Gosling and and with Stone and and with them playing those roles. I feel like we would have gotten maybe like a slightly younger feel and twist on on those roles had it been Miles Teller and Emma Watson or at least a, a younger feeling to it.
0: Yeah. I think Gosling and, and Emma Stone, they've got such a chemistry and they've been together before. Uh, crazy, Stupid Love, and it just worked. And uh, they're, I would not be surprised if they do a third team up at some point. They just seem to really work well together. Um, and I got nothing against Miles Teller. Uh, he's going to be in the new Top Gun movie. We'll really get a good look at him. He did very well in that drumline movie. I just don't see it though. I just I can't see it. you know, I think they nailed it so well. yes, it'd be hard to imagine anybody in those roles together. uh I think I think it would have been an interesting dynamic. I'd like to see that dynamic come down the road at some point, but i I just don't I, I can't really comment because I can't see it 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 existed for a moment though. that's what director Damien Chazelle said. he
1: said there was for a moment. Where uh, there was just a moment where those two were the
0: ones in the roles. Wouldn't it be interesting if they were going to get the roles, but the chemistry just wasn't? And they did an Eric Stoltz recast from Back to the Future, so to speak, and. They said we need chemistry. Is Gosling working this week? No, get him cuz they we they've already know they can working work well.
1: Working
0: this week. <laughs> we know he could do it. Get him, you know, and that maybe that's what it was. I, I it could be interesting if that's the story.
1: Yeah, Teller in particular has talked quite a bit about it that he was working on War Dogs at the time and and almost gave it up because of scheduling conflicts with La La Land, but then he got a call from his agent that said, "Hey, Damien's moving on. He's he's not going to take you for this one." But He still was all right with it, said, Hey, things work out for a reason. They don't work out for a reason. And by the way, that not working out for Emma Stone, or for Emma Watson, rather, led her into Beauty and the Beast. And she moved on to
0: that one then. That worked out pretty great. Yeah. Well, good for her. Yeah. Yeah. I I have a hard time even imagining it. I have a hard time imagining this other one, which is true. This isn't my fantasy. This is what almost was, but for various reasons, it didn't happen. The original Ghostbusters, the cast was going to look very, very different. Now, Aykroyd and Ramis were always attached because they both co-wrote the movie together and they were both going to be in the movie, so that was kind of set up. They got Sigourney Weaver. That was pretty much set up, but the other main roles... Aykroyd was writing the role of Peter Venkman, not for Bill Murray, but for John Belushi. And for obvious reasons, Belushi passed while he was right. still writing this and Bill Murray stepped in. That's not the only one. They were going to go back to SNL to get another member for the team rather than having Ernie Hudson, who was just kind of a kind of a well known character actor or on the rise character actor, for Winston Zedmore, the fourth Ghostbuster who joins up later in the movie. That was going to be Eddie Murphy. Originally, that really? was the talk, and that's not the only one. Wow. So through the movie, you have Dana Tullis, Sigourney Weaver, kind of yes. having an interesting relationship with Rick Moranis, his, her across-the-street neighbor. They both get possessed. They both become the ghoul dogs. That wasn't going to be Rick Moranis. It was going to be John Candy, <laughs> and for whatever reason, wow. they just couldn't get it to work out, and so between no Rick Moranis but John Candy... Eddie Murphy in place of Ernie Hudson and John Belushi in place of Bill Murray, Ghostbusters would have been hugely different. And as much wow. as I do like John Belushi, I think the the best parts of Ghostbusters are the improvisations that it's been said that Bill Murray should almost have received a writing credit because he... He stuck to the basic plot points, but whatever he said was whatever he thought to say. They might write him lines, but oh, he'll yeah. say his own thing.
1: That's one of the that's one of the most well known and famous things about Ghostbusters or infamous is that yeah, Bill Murray freewheeled for such a great deal of it.
0: Probably, it, 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 the very the estimates vary how much, right? But like seventy five percent of what he says and does. Just came out of nowhere. He thought of it, not in advance, but as the cameras were rolling. And some of the best jokes weren't written. He just came up with it. All the all the needleings he does with the Dana Barrett character is just basically Sigourney Weaver trying not to laugh, you know, and just trying to treat him like a smarmy guy while th- while seriously being just tickled pink and trying. <laughs> yes, thank you, Doctor Venkman. That it just works because that's what the characters are supposed to do. So putting her on her heels and making her get on the balls of her toes, so to speak, at the same time, is what made that dynamic so good. And if it was so scripted like Belushi might have done it. And he was well known to improvise too, but Bill Murray, John Belushi, same, they were on a same coin level. but different sides. Different level. Yeah. As far as the
1: improvisation part, which is such a big part of what Bill Murray did with with that role. Yeah,
0: yeah, that you know, and even getting John Candy, I think he would have been great. I think he and Rick Moranis, um, they're both from SCTV. They're both Canadian treasures, and they were both so good. I think they both would have brought an interesting dynamic, but something similar. I think it was funny the dynamic between Sigourney Weaver is six foot tall and she's very statuesque, and she's a wonderful actress and gorgeous and having a little squatty rick moranis who's like five two i mean he's a little guy yeah and seeing them when they're possessed and they got to have this big kiss and she's got to be the one to bend way down to kiss him where it's usually the guy that's got to bend down and kiss the little gal that would that was an interesting dynamic to see that i think john candy also would have brought something very special to the role but i, I love what the, the interplay especially between moranis and weaver that it just it's it made it work Ready for a few quick hitters? Yeah. All right. So I'm just gonna rattle off a few here
1: in in succession because we're intentionally avoiding one here. We'll we'll get to the one at the end. Maybe it's one What's that. The one? Uh, that Maybe it's one that the audience knows really well. Maybe not,
0: but unless there's one or two, that, I I've touched on a couple, like you know, Tom Selleck. For there's Indiana a big Jones, one. There's a big Marty one McFly. we haven't gotten to yet, though. Okay, uh, there's a bunch of them, so a, I can't think really of any one. one that's head and shoulders above the rest. I thought I kind of touched base on some of the bigger ones. But so, anyway,
1: some of these are going to be really bizarre. Some of them are going to be just just strange. Some of them might be oh, that, okay. that's kind of interesting. Okay, did you know Johnny Depp was up for Ferris Bueller? I had not heard that. Yeah, Johnny G- Johnny Depp was in the running for it. I mean, we we associate Matthew Broderick with Ferris Bueller. I mean,
0: they they just are attached at the hip. He owned that role. He did. I don't think anybody could have I mean, I think other people could have done a good job, but there's the pinnacle of the mountain and you're still high up if you're not the pinnacle of the mountain, but the pinnacle was Matthew Broderick. He yes. owns that movie. There's nobody that could have taken a better slant on that role. I could see what Johnny Depp could have done, but no, nobody would have beat Broderick. Nobody. Exactly. Yeah, because
1: with with Johnny Depp, I think it would have been a different kind of adolescent spirit that we would have gotten from him than the than the freewheeling, fun loving one that we got with Matthew Broderick. I think I think Johnny Depp would have put maybe a little bit more of an edge on it, perhaps. But again, that's what we know of Johnny Depp and his career to this point. That was at a different place in time. How about this one? Um Nicole Kidman very nearly played Anna Scott in Notting Hill instead of Julia Roberts. Yep. I, that's a very hard one for me to, to grasp because I like how there's, there's almost this down-to-earth quality about Julia Roberts in that movie. Even though she's playing a movie star, it's very much a down-to-earth Movie star kind of kind of feel that she plays that role with. I don't I don't know how Nicole Kidman would have would have slotted in there. Um,
0: but it, it would have it would have definitely been different. She does have a kind of intensity. Dep- all the yeah, roles exactly. that she plays even when she plays as light hearty like the bomb that was be- uh, bewitched. There's still something heavy about her. Even her earliest roles. There's just there's a lot of weight to the roles that she gives. While Julia Roberts can be very light and very airy and you know very down to earth. And I don't know, maybe Nicole Kidman could be like that in real life, but I haven't seen it on screen yet. I think that would have been a tougher sell. I like the Julia Roberts better. Me too. She also said, Nicole Kidman
1: did, that she really wanted the role, but she said that she wasn't big enough at the time for for the role. She wasn't good enough. In the mid-90s? Yeah, which I I find hard to believe. I mean, she she had been in the Batman movies, or had been in one of the Batman movies. It was Batman... Forever. Forever, yeah. That's at that right.
0: point, she was already very well established. Exactly.
1: Like, but she said she wasn't well known enough, I guess, for for that role compared to Julia
0: Roberts, and wasn't talented enough. I disagree. Okay. Didn't she kind of really break out right about that time with To Die For? She played the TV anchor that tried to get her lover to kill her husband, and based on a true story. That she it was just up for an Oscar or at least a Golden Globe. At I the think very that was least. in the '90s. Yeah, but I think that was like right around the time of Notting Hill. So she, you know, she's now getting brought into Oscar talk. I'm not good enough. Sounds like she had you know, self-esteem issues maybe because she clearly was good enough. All right. Picture John Travolta as Forrest Gump. Stop. Next. (laughs) I don't even want to go down that cul-de-sac. No, thank you. It was
1: a possibility. Hopefully
0: hopefully it was something that somebody – I'll give you $20 if you bring it up in the meeting. Just see if Zemeckis shoots you down. And it was funny because both of them were up for Best Actor that year because Travolta went
1: on to do Pulp Fiction. Of course. Yeah. Travolta apparently has said that passing on Forrest Gump was a big mistake. No, it wasn't. No.
0: You you don't even want to wrap your mind around that. Travolta's got his box of tools. I'll grant you that. And depending on the role, he's very good in it. But Travolta isn't that good. He just isn't. He's got those quirks. He's got that charm. He's got that cocky, cool kind of thing. That ain't Forrest Gump. Not by a long shot. There's not a chance that he wouldn't be... It would be his version of to use a tropic thunder metaphor that would have been his simple jack. If you know the movie you know where we're going. It's just the it's the role that what were you thinking and not just to him to anybody that had anything to do with him getting in the role. I'm not against John Travolta but some roles he has no business being anywhere near and that's one of them. Next. Case. Did you know did you know that Jack Nicholson could have been Michael Corleone in The Godfather? I could have seen that. But that would have been really early in his
1: career. Pretty early, yes. Plus, Nicholson has taken the high road on it, and he said, look, I could have played Michael Corleone, but Al Pacino was Michael Corleone.
0: Yeah, that's a very classy way of putting it. But, you know, even Pacino, that was one of his earliest roles. So the fact that they were both heavyweights before people knew they were heavyweights is kind of what made the Michael Corleone thing work. It's kind of what made a lot of uh, Jack Nicholson's early roles work, whether it's Chinatown or whatever. Is that you were unaware of who these people were, and when they come at you with their full gravata? I mean, you're whoa, you're ta- you're expecting Marlon Brando to bring it, but who is this Al Pasciopo? Pe- 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 who you don't know, and then boom. Yeah, I think that's what worked for both of them. I think they both would have brought in an interesting quality, but Jack just does not look Italian at all.
1: Here's the last one for these these quick hitters. <laughs> I can't. I can't picture this one. I'm so glad this never happened. This would have changed how I seen how I see the guy, Henry Cavill, as Edward Cullen from Twilight
0: instead of Robert Pattinson. Well, then that gets awkward because Cavill is or Cavill rather. How old is he versus say Robert Pattinson? I don't want to see those movies with a 30 year old playing a teenager. You know, you can get away like the first half of your 20s, but. Honestly, and not only that.
1: Plus, imagine him pale and, and in such a passive kind of manner. But he isn't. Manner.
0: Whether he played Superman and bulked up for the role or not, he's a big guy. He's there's no, a big dude. There's no way you're going to pass him off as a high schooler, even when he was a high schooler. I ran into a high school kid last night that I actually knew, and he's like 6'5". There's no way that I would cast him to play a high schooler, and he is a high schooler. Stephanie Meyer, who wrote the books, though, apparently liked
1: Cavill most for the role. Here's here's what he said. Um, he said this to the Graham Norton Show, quote, I think I was her first choice. That's the rumor I heard. And she wanted me to play the role, but it wasn't up to her. And instead, a very talented actor played him instead, Robert Pattinson.
0: Yeah, and there's truth to that? Cannot
1: picture Henry Cavill being in that role.
0: No, he's a very good, and they're both very good actors, don't get me wrong. but yeah, there Thank is goodness
1: Robert Pattin- Pattinson is going on to other things.
0: There is such a thing as being miscast. And funny enough, they both played huge DC superheroes. We're about to see Pattinson come out as the Batman And uh, Cavill, of course, has a few Supermans under his belt. Yes. Great actors can be miscast in the wrong role. I mean, you can't get Al Pacino to play, you know, Robert Pattinson's role in Twilight. Great actor, one of the best. But nope, not there. And Cavill, no different. Hugely miscast. I think we've got time for one or two more here. What's your big one? Time to lift the curtain on this year's model. you know where I'm going with the big one. I don't. I mean, I could think of like 20 different roles that, you know, were looked at by so-and-so. I could think of a few where I think you might well, be going. Well,
1: let's go back to Pacino, okay? And the fact that he could have played Han Solo. Now I
0: know where you're going. That's, okay. I
1: mean that that one is still <laughs> so hard to imagine. We started the show earlier by by saying that we that we had a pre show conversation about picturing that actor playing that role. By doing a role that he had done previously, or done in another movie, and and it, it carrying that over, and so the idea was, well, what if Al Pacino played Han Solo like Tony Montana? Like,
0: hey, Julie, punch it, man!
1: <laughs> I
0: don't know if that would work. crazy worked.
1: with his blaster pistol and and with the gun on the deck of the of the Millennium Falcon, like say hello screaming. to my new blaster. Just
0: screaming his head off. (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, and also the same role, Han Solo, Christopher Walken was brought around. I can't imagine Han Solo doing a long pause. Christopher Walken, no, there, and John Voight, and a lot of people were looked at that role. I've seen. I'm so happy here. A lot of
1: strange things in my travels, but I've never heard
0: of some. All encompassing force. Control everything. <laughs> yeah. I you know, <laughs> roguish is what makes Han Solo work and Harrison Ford brings that and then some Christopher Walken is not roguish. No, he's unhinged. That's he'd be a better Darth Vader than Han Solo. Preferably okay. if he does like a like a Kylo Ren thing hey, and the mask comes off. Luke, I am your father. I'd like to give you my old lightsaber, I took it back from the Clone Wars and I had to hide it from the Imperial Gods. <laughs> I, w- We're devolving down some decide, rabbit hole here. One of
1: my favorite things <laughs> is watching people do Christopher Walken impressions, like comedians who are out there. This one guy on, who, uh, on Whose Line Is It Anyway from back in the 90s did a really, really good one, and I, I still enjoy going back to that clip. Anyway back to back to han solo yeah like you said with the roguish attitude and spirit that he has harrison ford made that made that stand up really well with al pacino it it would have like you picture the gangster you picture you picture him as tony montana you picture him as as michael corleone you you see him as these other roles that he ended up going on to play Christopher <laughs> kind of thing, Walken you just Serpico see him as yet? Christopher Walken but have
0: they done Serpico by the time Star Wars came out I think maybe this was, was 77 75? when Star Wars was Star Wars was 77 it was Serpico I have to look I'm not looking it up so was it like 75 I think was they did Serpico so he's already known as Michael Corleone they'd done the two
1: 73
0: 70, okay so he'd already been Serpico you've already got these great movies maybe that's about the time Dog Day Afternoon came out I can't remember but it's He's already well known for those, and I can't. Yeah, Pacino like Walken is uh, looks great in the suit, but he's unhinged. He's like a he's like Hannibal Lecter. He's a madman, but in a tailored prison outfit. That's basically what Al Pacino' role is. You know, he's going to tear that suit off like Ric Flair and just go crazy. But that's not what Han Solo is. Han Solo is blue jeans in the Old West with a with a six shooter on his hip. That's what Star Wars is, is an outer space western, and I don't see Pacino anywhere near a western or Christopher Walken, but Harrison Ford, yeah. It's an interstellar western is what Star Wars is. Boy, picturing Han Solo with this deranged look on his
1: face, <laughs> blaster pistol out of his side, rather than that really intense look of Harrison Ford, it's it's this... this madman look of al pacino as he's screaming popping off shots yelling say hello to my little
0: friend i'll tell you what though if you want to really go something radical what if pacino or even walkin were considered for the role of obi-wan because you know now you got like ptsd poor post clone war veteran jedi he's been there he's seen there, stuff, man. and it's all on his shoulders and he's not this wise regal he's got the scars From damage, and we will find out later that Obi Wan, you know, kind of created Vader in a way. Couldn't you see that weight from that kind of guilt and that kind of, you know, impact, PTSD on the shoulders of a Pacino or Christopher Walken? It's a radical departure. And murdered your father. Couldn't you see that? Maybe. Uh, Oh, look, let me tell you, your dad. Oh, powerful Jedi was here. Took all I had not to cut off all his arms and lay Oh, that said too much. I mean, maybe. As he starts talking about the Clone Wars, he starts out, you know, and he starts PTSD working himself into a frenzy. With this one, yeah. Better yet, let's cast Ric Flair as Obi-Wan. That'd be, woo, Flair. Obi, woo, Kenobi. We're going down a route now. Maybe we should back up the car.
1: Woo, hello there.
0: <laughs> Ric Flair, by the way, is a wrestler. You could look that up. That's I think right. everyone knows that now.
1: Any others from you, Dave? I think I've exhausted the the ones that were of of most interesting note to me, at least that I had had been able to find. Let me go back to my
0: cheat sheet here. I wrote up a couple that I was looking at.
1: I thought the Pacino Han Solo one was
0: like the creme de la creme. Yeah, well well, that's the one that is where... Along with some of those duo ones. I'll tell you one that was on my crib list that was looked at to some degree of seriousness, but really was looked at just to try to get who they wanted to do it. And that's Robin Williams, and it happened a couple of times with a couple of the Batman movies. They wanted him for the Joker rather than Jack Nicholson, but Ah. they really wanted Jack Nicholson. So they figured if Jack's kind of playing coy with the role, they'll start pursuing it with Robin Williams and pursuing it seriously so that if Jack is just trying to play coy, he'll finally do it. And and Jack Nicholson got, if you want to look it up, a real sweet deal. And the same thing happened again with Jim Carrey for The Riddler. And Robin Williams was so norked about what had happened. That's he, bait. yeah, he kind of he kind of turned down other roles. That's why he didn't play the the voice of the Aladdin genie in the second Aladdin movie. Was because he he felt like he was being played. I don't want to I don't want to work with you guys if this is what you're gonna do. And he was really kind of norked. But could you imagine in either of those roles, either Jack Nicholson's '89 Joker or Jim Carrey's '95 The Riddler in both those Batman movies? In either case, Robin Williams.
1: I can picture it absolutely. Yes, most definitely can. We've got this idea of what it ended up being, but but imagine imagine him with that gigantic grin. Like I, I going we back, even need makeup. Going back to whose line is it anyway? Again, funny enough, I remember when when he jokingly played. Carol Channing in doing um if Carol Channing did did famous movie lines and and he has this gigantic grin and he goes, "Well, surely you must be the son of God." <laughs> He's got this gigantic almost demented looking smile. So when you say that he very nearly played the Joker, that's the image that I get in my mind is him putting this gigantic Carol Channing smile on his face and then taking that into the Joker role. Like, he absolutely could have done that.
0: Yeah, it would have been a very interesting take. I think especially the Joker, if he would have played it really cool and reserved like the Joker can be, and then absolutely to the absolute polar opposite side of that spectrum and just gone absolute manic. And with his body of work, even to that point, just look at Good Morning Vietnam. It's all there. I mean, to see it go slightly more unhinged and slightly more, you know, reserved, but that's just like keeping a bomb with a cap over it, you know, the missile silo door over destruction beneath. That would have been really interesting. If he'd gone, you know, toe to toe with what Jim Carrey did for the Riddler, I think he would have won. Um, I think both roles would have been really fantastic and would have been potentially Oscar worthy. Jack Nicholson was, was up for awards for that. So I think that would have been an interesting one for either of those roles. Robin Williams in a Batman movie is one of the great crimes that uh, the big screen did not quite deliver, but almost did twice.
1: This whole exercise, though, is a is a good reminder that we we get so we get so used to the way the way things that were made were made and the way that they were made that we think of when you think about those those alternatives again like i said off the start sometimes they are really intriguing to oh, yeah. think about what could have been but i think more often than not we go it was the way it was and i'm glad that it it ended up being that way although we've talked about a lot of movies that we like we've talked about a lot of movies that are good over the course of this this episode what about in some of those movies that are bad you know it could have maybe it could have been a game changer but again We've discussed so often on this show how important good writing is, how important good direction is, how important putting together a good plan is that I mean, with these these people playing these roles are extremely talented in them. Sometimes it's there's there's miscasting. Even a really, really good actor can be miscast in a role. But more often than not, they're they're doing a, a quality job. Sometimes the picture just isn't very good.
0: Yeah, I've, usually you see a lot of, they did the best with what they were given. You yeah. Know, the movie wasn't well done, it wasn't well written, the, the dialogue was horrible, but they made the best of it. <laughs> Every now and again, you see a movie that's really pretty good, but then there's that one big kind of sore spot, that pebble in the shoe, and it's not making an oyster, you know, it's just, it's you don't get the pearl like you want, you get something that just irritates. And it's the one thing in the movie, whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it, it's what... You know, general. I mean, I heard a lot of things. Well, Maggie Gyllenhaal is the one thing that shouldn't have been in the Dark Knight. I, I disagree. I think she did a great job in that. You know, but some other people have different thoughts.
1: In a tough spot where there had to be a recasting for it as yeah. well, because Katie Holmes wasn't available. So yeah, that's a tough spot too. Is when when you're coming in and people already know somebody else in the role. And and you're having to then step in and fill it.
0: i but I'd seen the same thing too. You shouldn't have had you shouldn't have had her in. Uh, oh no, I'm having a Katie uh, uh, Katie Holmes in Batman Begins when they recast it for for um, ah there goes my vocabulary all of a sudden uh, for the Dark Knight they had to recast that role. But I've heard complaints about both. Well, Katie Holmes shouldn't have been in that. It's it's too heavy for her. And then you bring in somebody like Hall. No, no, she shouldn't have done it. Who'd you who would you have chosen? You know, not all of them are, they can't always be Natalie Portman, you know, I get it, you know. Right. So, it, yeah, it's, um, but I love when you look at something like, say, any of those, and movies from the MCU, look at all the cast from, say, Avengers Endgame alone. Who would you recast? It's almost dream casting on stage, and I've made many jokes that I think Hoove looks a lot like uh, Chris Evans, uh, Captain America, a little bit, a little bit.
1: I I consider that a great when, honor. When
0: you get the fuzz going and when you get the beard going? Yeah. Like bearded cap? Bearded cap. A little bit like that. A little that? bit. If I got you in the helmet, I get a picture, we'd send it out and Chris Evans would send a team of lawyers over.
1: Well, that's great. I I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed his playing as Captain America a lot. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So yeah, I, and I certainly don't want to go down the route. I've said a couple things. We've talked about we knew it was bad. We talked about recasting, and I don't like Giovanni Rabisi And we've have been We no know
1: boy. you don't like Giovanni Rabisi. Yeah, <laughs> this has become a running theme here lately.
0: Wouldn't that be funny if there's a knock on the door oh. one day, uh, Dave? You're in the middle of podcasting, but there's somebody here to see you, Giovanni Rabisi, What? I knew you did it on Tuesdays. Icky. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it over. <laughs> What can I say? Well, we are about ready to bring. Man, you for... find
1: a way to bring Giovanni Rabisi into it almost as much as Dr. Cox brings in how much he hates Hugh Jackman in Scrubs. Yeah. Man.
0: The list of things I hate. Wow. Oh, and Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. How dare he? Go look up some Dr. Cox rants for Christmas. It's just, it's a hoot.
1: <laughs> it's great. Well, yep. speaking
0: of which, uh, regardless of when you're listening to this podcast, we are about a week and a half till Christmas time, so we're going to take a break, and you're going to go visit some family in Pennsylvania again. Yeah, Good. yeah. Good.
1: So we will be back though in the new year, and back once again to join you. We are, by the way, coming up on our 100th episode Holy of moly. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. We are getting very close to that, as you may have noticed, or maybe you didn't, because Roman numerals are hard to keep up with sometimes. Yeah, but even I,
0: we have to look them up. What is the Roman numeral for 95? Oh, really? Oh, okay. But
1: it's kind of become one of the staples of the show, so we persist. You know,
0: maybe Rick and or Nick will make a cameo on their own show.
1: It's possible, We've had we've Texas? had a cameo from
0: one of them. Yeah, it's true. And even then, barely. 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 Well, it it you know, hey, a hundred shows. Boy, these stunt doubles are almost threatening to become members of the main cast. But you know, if they double our salary, two times zero is still zero. I like being a guest star, though. That's I feel okay. like it, it keeps the pressure off. Yeah, I don't. I don't need women throwing my throwing underwear against the window of the studio. That
1: is not what I was talking about, but. Have you had that happen?
0: Not that I'm going to admit. That's very strange. Rick and Nick we Talk have Flicks. We a senior center down the hall, so it gets a little frightening. Wow. Anyway, Rick
1: and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Boy, get that image out of your head. <laughs> Located on Highway 2, just down from the airport. Come on out and support the Bemidji Theater. $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. If you're still not comfortable being back in theaters, come on out get some concessions to take home with you. That will be very supportive to the theater as well by being able to do that. I can't even look at you. (laughs) I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. We want to wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, and we will see you at the movies.